0: <laughs> <what's> going
1: on. <laughs> yes, that would have included you.
0: I thought you said you did take attendance. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> No, well, let's, let's see. see.
1: Um, no, I have a decent sense of who comes every day and who doesn't. Like, um, oh God, was Tony wasn't here on Wednesday either. Mm-hmm. You weren't here Wednesday. Were you? Yeah. Was he? Yeah. No, yeah. oh, it was the day before the day. a Monday. All right. Yeah. All right. No, so it's just you just get a kind of general sense of of who comes and who doesn't. Like uh, like Lauren, she sometimes comes. <laughs> Once in a while. Uh, it's nice. Um Hi you guys. Um ready for your Marlowe quiz? What? If you've been here. Okay, good. I just want to know if you were ready. Um, Now I know. You're ready. That's good. All right. So uh, what do we think? Of Marlowe or of any of them? Of what? Of Marlowe or of any of them? Well, of, of any of them. I liked the lie a lot. Mm-hmm. Go on. To figure out what the
0: lie was and I liked it anyway it like <laughs> okay I like South um religious ones because it's like it almost seemed like a song it's like it had a rhythm to it uh-huh like
1: nice. yeah um are you thinking of one in particular or just um
0: where the the baby the was? burning babe yeah. yeah the burning babe was great
1: uh-huh <laughs> you didn't think so, Barbara? It
2: freaked me out until I figured out what he was trying to say. But that's I was like, what are you were
0: like. What's going on? And then you're like, oh, I
2: like. Baby, and he's floating in front of me, and he's on fire, and, this, and I'm just like, you need to finish this because I need
0: to figure out. <laughs> it's suit. like the burning bush, but it's the burning babe. It's, it's, it's,
1: it's, <laughs> it's, it's allegory. It's it's allegory. Who is the burning babe?
0: Jesus.
1: Yes, okay, <laughs> good. get well, like, it in
2: like, yes, the Jesus. last two lines and then everything makes sense you're like, oh, okay, but as you're reading it, you're just kind of getting like really freaked out, like, I don't know. Well, I mean, you Christmas. have an inkling. <sighs> I, mean, I, I understood, know. like, when they started talking about sinning, I was kind of like, I was like, oh, okay, I kind of think I, and then of course they said, like, oh, knew yeah. it was Christmas, I'm like, yeah, okay. But, like, up until that point, there was just a lot of things going on.
1: Um, so did you like it when you found out it was Jesus?
2: It made a lot more sense when I found out it was Jesus. I, it was, yeah. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad poem, but to me, it wasn't one of the ones that like really made me feel like really connected to it or like very much, like very impressed by it. Uh-huh. I think because I was so confused in the beginning that it like I didn't let it like I couldn't let like the real, you know, like rhyme or like the flow of the poem really sink in because I was so concentrated on trying to figure out what was going on in the poem that I kind
1: of let go like, I, I was too
2: focused on something small
1: that like, the bigger parts of the poem got kind of lost on me. Yeah. Um, so that wasn't one of my favorite poems that I read for this round. <laughs> it was interesting. Um, okay. Uh, were you going to say something? No. Um, how many people were disappointed when they found out what it was about? Do you all remember it? Should we look at it? Uh, what page is it on? 394. 394. <laughs> um, do you? Oh, you that's have number, lower. number oh, 245. Wow. <laughs> 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 yeah, we talked about this a little bit last class. Um, I'm surprised you don't remember. Oh, no, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> low flow, low flow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um. <coughs> So as, uh, does someone want to read it? Don't. <coughs> Yay. As I
3: had hoary?
1: Yeah. Hori means covered with ice. Um, now hoary means old. That is someone you would talk about, oh, that, that um, hoary idea or that, that hoary um, um, view. But it's, it means old because it actually means whitened, um, glazed with white. So, um, hoarfrost. Actually, maybe technically glazed with hoarfrost, um, but hoarfrost, it, it's wintry.
3: As I in hoary winter's night stood shivering in the snow, surprised I was with sudden heat, which made my heart to glow. And lifting up a fearful eye to view what fire was near, a pretty babe, all burning bright, did in the air appear. And scorched with excessive heat, such floods of tears did shed. As though his flood should quench his flames, which with his tears were fed. Alas, quoth he, but newly born, in fiery heats I fry, yet none approach to warm their hearts or feel my fire but I. My faultless breast the furnace is, the fuel wounding thorns. Love is the fire, and sighs the smoke, the ashes, shame and scorns. The fuel justice layeth on, and mercy blows the coals. The metal in this furnace wrought are men's defiled souls. For which is now on fire, I am to work them to their good. So I will melt into a bath to wash them with my blood. With this, he vanished out of sight and swiftly shrunk away. And straight I called unto mind that it was Christmas Day.
1: Great, thank you. Um. So, um, <coughs> when do you start thinking it's Christian? Yeah. Yeah. Well,
4: I mean, I realized it was Jesus with the line of the fuel wounding. Because, mm-hmm. like, when I first said that, I was like, wait, what? And then I
1: thought, thorns. That automatically calls to mind Jesus and the crown of thorns. The crown of thorns. Well. Yeah. So, um, part of the um, pain and suffering that Jesus undergoes in order to redeem humans for our sins is the crown of thorns with which he's mocked when he's crucified. That's um, one of the, one of the many last straws that are heaped upon him. Um, okay good um, anything before that yeah Barbara well
4: I kind of thought of it in the um, one before that just with getting that approach to warm their hearts or feel my fire but I it made me think of uh, those who are like believing in Jesus or not I don't know I kind of saw the religious part
1: starting Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, OK, good. Yeah.
0: Um, I also saw, but newly born, fire heats I cry. Mm-hmm. Because fire in me symbolizes hell, and Jesus was born without sin. Mm-hmm. So if he was just born, but he's already in hell, I, I guess that invoked Jesus to me.
1: Yeah, OK, good. Um. It also probably matters that <coughs> that the baby's talking. That is. <laughs> um, and floating in the air. <laughs> and, well, there's, and floating in the air. Um, but floating in the air could still be a pure victim. Um, that is, so here's, here's um, a burning babe, babe in the air, um, and who knows what that stands for. But once the babe starts talking, um, it's, it, it has some command over the supernatural situation that, it's, that we're in. Um, it's not like the speaker here, who's a Jesuit priest, by the way, Um, Yeah, it says that, Robert Southall, S.J. Everyone knows S.J. means Jesuit priest? Okay, has anyone read Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man? So there's a place where Stephen is imagining what it would be like if his name were... Very early in Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, Stephen Dedalus writes in his notebook, Stephen Dedalus, and then um, his town, County Kildare, um, Dublin, Ireland, the world, the solar system, the universe, um, which lots of people do. But um, Stephen Dedalus does it. Um, Towards the end of the book, he thinks about becoming a a priest. um, And he imagines what it would be like if his name were Stephen Dedalus S.J. Does anyone know what it stands for? Society of Jesus. So the Jesuits belong to um, a group called the Society of Jesus. So um, S.J. there means Jesuit priest. Um, So um, here's this supernatural thing. I guess, let me me ask something that I generally don't ask, but what do you think of um, yet none approach to warm their hearts or feel my fire, but I? What do you think of the but I there?
4: From the fire, but then
1: he felt it. Okay, you've made it much better than I thought it was. Nice. Um, I thought it was just stupid. Um, that is to say, why would he approach himself at his own fire? Um, that is, that, um, is he going to warm his heart at the fire in which he's burning? Yeah, Gabrielle. Um,
3: well,
2: I mean, not that it makes that much more sense, but when I read it, I associated, but I'm more with, like, in my mind, it translated to, like, he is also by the fire, but nobody else is coming to him. Yeah. So, like, the only person that feels the fire is him. Yeah. And the only person that is around is him. So, yeah. So, like, not so much that, like, he has come to himself in, like, that odd way, but, like, that he is there and nobody else is approaching him with the fire.
1: Yeah. Um, I still feel like who made the eyes but I is much better yeah. <laughs> than this. Yeah.
5: Well, it's also, it's a, it's a question of belief. I mean, it says that, you know, love is the fire and size the smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just Jesus, of, of course he would be able to be in such flames and not get burned, whereas everyone else, even no matter how cold they are, would be like, and it, it's, like, um, it's like that poem that we looked at the first day where it says, you know, like, I am not worthy. So it's like even though you see this great love, this burning love, you're like, well, I can't. Yeah. And closer,
1: and so meanwhile he's standing in it, and he's like, "No, seriously, it's cool." Yeah, yeah. or not cool, but <laughs> yeah. um, it's warm. Um, yeah, temperate. it's temperate. Um, I guess what I'm what what I'm thinking, what I'm suggesting is that the the reason this poem is in the book and the reason, and this really is the reason that Savile is remembered. You know, it's nice that, ah, speak of the devil. Um, it's nice that, that uh, there are several poems by him, but this is the one um, that, that really is, uh, that he's known for. Um, is not really because it's a great, great poem. I don't think it is a great, great poem. Um, but because it's such an arresting poem, that is the idea of this burning babe in the night, um, just suddenly this this vision of the burning babe in the night. Um, As I in Hori's winter's night stood shivering in the snow, surprised I was with sudden heat which made my heart to glow, and lifting up a fearful eye to view what fire was near, a pretty babe all burning bright did in the air appear. And then you need the whole poem, um, but it kind of a little bit goes downhill from there, I think. Uh, yeah. I actually much preferred the New Prince New Pomp. Oh, really?
3: Basically. Yeah, because I mean they're both speaking yeah. about Jesus. Mm-hmm. A- and
2: like I said, I had a problem with the the poem to begin with, so I might be a little biased, but I just I like I like New Prince New Pomp better.
1: Um okay let's just read it. Um someone else? Everyone is looking. Yes! Yay!
0: Behold, a silly, tender babe in freezing winter night, and only manger trembling lies. Alas, a piteous sight. The inns are full, no man will yield this little pilgrim bed, but forced he is with silly breasts and crib to shroud his head. Despise him not for lying there. First, what he is, inquire. An orient pearl is often found in depth of dirty mire. Weigh not his crib, his wooden dish, nor beast that by him be. Weigh not his mother's poor attire, nor Joseph's simple weed. The staple is a prince's corpse, this crim his chair of state. The beasts are parcel of his palm, the wooden dish his plate. The persons in that poor attire his royal liveries wear. The prince himself has come from heaven. This pomp is, pri- this pomp is prized is Prized. Prized? Oh, okay. Y- yeah,
1: do you hear the meter? This pomp is prized there. That's why I slipped off. Yeah, yeah that's I thought. Is wrong. Yeah. Okay,
0: thank you. <laughs> With joy approach, O Christian weight, do homage to thy king. And highly praise his humble palm, which he from heaven doth bring.
1: Okay, so why'd you like it better?
2: Well, I guess from on one hand, it's the familiarity of it because you know I grew up listening to all of these like Christmas tales and things like that, and the imagery and the like the picture that he's describing is very familiar to me. So mm-hmm. it, I liked it because it was it was familiar, and I also liked that he he kind of explained something that in reality would be offputting in in such a way that like you can understand why people prize it so much mm-hmm. like in reality the idea of like a baby having to spend the night in like you know a manger and like like in such dirty like in such a dirty setting and things like that is not the best thing, but he's saying, like, you have to understand what's going on to really appreciate what's happening in this situation, and then he explains it, and I, I like the imagery, and I like, I, I just, it was a very nice poem to me.
1: So okay, good. Yeah?
2: It's incredibly benign, I mean, especially
5: with the meter. It, it, it feels like twas the Night Before Christmas. Like, I mean, this could, this, this poem, as far as I know, isn't something that's often read or, or, like, made into a, a jingle that you hear on the radio every December, mm-hmm. yeah. but it very easily could be, because mm-hmm. just, it just feels nice and homey and familiar, whereas The Burning Babe is like, has this creepy Blake imagery of, you know, children covered in the ash made of shame
4: and scorn. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 exactly, yeah.
4: I actually liked it better as well, and kind of what you were talking about, the imagery, I felt there was more throughout it, the imagery was held, whereas here, like, it starts out with that very, like, arresting image, but then it, it kind of, to me, got heavy on the, the talking about, like, what everything means, the justice and mercy, but here it seemed like the imagery was kept more throughout.
1: hmm Yeah. Okay, yeah.
4: I didn't like it, sorry, <laughs> but
0: I felt like it was too obvious, like, oh, a silly babe in a freezing night in the manger is like, great, it's Jesus, and then i yeah. <laughs> like, Jay, wait, who's that going to turn out to be? <laughs> I, like, I was bored already, and I feel like for the other, I was
1: bored already, is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, All right.
0: But I feel like with the other one, Jesus as a concept is like... Everyone thought he was going to be this king who was going to come free people. And then he was like this guy who like walked around washing people's feet. Like it wasn't cool. <laughs> so I feel like the Burning Babe more correctly encapsulates the idea of Jesus in that it's something you're not expecting. And then as it goes on, you start to get it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, do you know if when these poems
3: were published? Were originally were they published? You know. I think I think
1: these like two maybe? were, if I recall correctly. Yeah.
3: Because I mean, that's part of the because I'm oblivious sometimes, so I didn't actually realize the first poem was about Jesus till I read the second one. Uh huh. And so that. You just thought, oh,
1: it's Christmas Day. Maybe they're at the movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what my family does. Yeah. So obviously, <laughs> that's does. Pixar.
3: So, but I like the just the placement of them it just the, and the contrast between them mm-hmm. I thought you know in terms of the way they were published that was a very you know clever and and I forgot the word I was going to use but it was a good thing yeah. I mean, it was just and my first impression was actually are all his poems about Jesus I yeah but, <laughs> <laughs> but it was I I like the publication choice and the order in which yeah. that yeah, The Burning
1: Babe, and then New Prince. Yeah. It's, people probably know whether they were together in manuscript. I suspect they were, but I don't know. But um, I think I remember that they are together. They were next to each other when they were published. Um, yeah.
4: Does uh Zappel ever make references to paying ads? Because I, I never, I didn't see
1: any, any Not that I re- other poets do this. Not that I recall. No, that's something we were talking about last week. Um, and something that we should talk about when we get to Marlowe. I can't recall that he ever does. Um, I think all his poems are devotional and religious. Um, Did he he write them for publication, or did he
4: write
1: them for himself? Um, Publication was not what you did then. So um, basically, what poets did was they wrote poems which circulated in manuscript. And it's then really hard to say Um, and impossible for me to say because I don't know enough about him. But it can often be hard to say whether um, what kind of future a poet anticipated for his or her poems. Um, They were often, well, you know, it's a little bit, but only a little bit, like what people who do, like like, um, have locked live journals do, (laughs) which is, okay, so they're writing for their friends, um, but they're not imagining really that um, stuff that they wrote a year ago or two years ago or whatever is going to have a future life, although they can always dig it up. Um, but it's, it's good writing for a narrow circle is sort of what the manuscript culture is. And um, writing for print was something that most of the poets that we've read up to this point were not doing. Um, They were they were writing for people in court, their friends in court, or in whatever circles they were in, rather than for print. Um, So it's so in a way it's hard to say, but in another way it's it's also hard to quite know the meaning of what it would be like not to be writing for publication. Yeah.
5: At the risk of sounding blasphemous, um, I think the reason I prefer the burning babe is because it gives Jesus agency. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the in New Prince, New Pomp, it's all about how helpless he is and what he's surrounded by and how the future ages will regard him. Whereas in The Burning Babe, he has dialogue and he has a point of view.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, yeah, and he's unhappy, alas. Mm. Um. So, I mean, I think one of the things, the difference between those two poems is that New Prince, New Pomp, um, as, as you were saying, the imagery is extremely easy to decode. Um, that is, the allegory is something that you don't really have any trouble. All all that um, we have to know is um, that the stable is a prince's court. We could put it together from there, right? Um, well, what would his crib then be? Um, well, we might want to say his his royal bed, but if it 's in court, it has to be his chair of state. Um, the beasts are parcel of his pomp. What that means is they're they're um, part of his train um, clear enough, the wooden dish, his plate well, what else would it be um, that is plate is um, a whole lot of value is stored well, this is still true the family silver a whole lot of value is stored in um in um, plate and silver made of precious metal. Um, the person's in that poor attire his royal liveries wear. Um, OK, so it's all um, a kind of irony that the poorest, the first are, is last. The poorest is the richest. The livery of the Lord is um, ra- is rags or poor attire. Um, and that that's the pomp that's prized in heaven. But it's not at all hard to figure out um, either how to decode everything in the manger um, or what the meaning of this way of encoding it is, that is, that the last are first, that the poor come into the kingdom of heaven, that um, the meek inherit the earth, although you know what J. Paul Getty said about that. The meek shall inherit the earth. But not the oil and mineral rights. <laughs> um, so, but here it's it's just not hard to to decode it. Um, I think it's much harder to decode the burning babe. So if you go back to that, alas, quoth he, "But newly born in fiery heats I fry." So, so here I am in a terrible world. Yet none approach to warm their hearts or feel my fire but I. So even though I'm frying, which again I don't think is that good a word, but. Um, uh, but it makes the point. Um, I'm frying in this heat, but others could warm, could take warmth by it, could could melt and, um, and give up their sin and find solace in the pain that I undertake for them. My faultless breast, the furnace is. Um, okay, so why furnace? Well, he's burning and he's really hot. So somehow there's got to be a place where where the fuel is burning namely the thorns. Um is there any other reason for furnace? I think there is, but I think um you have to you have to think about it for a second. In other words, he's not explaining here um how how the uh, second law of thermodynamics is being preserved. Um, he's not saying, well, if I'm burning, there's, a, there's something that I am burning which which makes this possible. Um, why does he want to bring a furnace in? Why does he, Saül? why does he, Jesus, want to bring a furnace in? Yeah. Because he's where the heat is coming from. Yeah, he's where the heat is coming from, but um, why a furnace? Why not some other source of heat? Yeah.
0: I mean, to me, it'll, it plays the image of, like, people coming and, like, warming themselves by the fire. And he could have used some other thing. Like, he could have been, like, an inferno or something a lot more, like, intense. But it's like a furnace, something that is, like, a constant steady flame that you can come, like, your hands by. That kind of is the image I get, at least.
1: Okay, now, what do you think furnaces are used for in the 16th century? Yeah.
0: I I mean, I don't know if this is a furnace or an oven, but I thought you could make swords and, like, work Mm -hmm. metal in a furnace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's... I got, like, because um, he says, like, there are people in the furnace being melded into something else. Mm-hmm. Like
1: yeah, exactly. Um, the metal in this furnace wrought are men's defiled souls. Yeah. Um, so that's why there has to be a furnace in order to to um, do the, the forming of men's souls. Um, so um, wrought is one of those words that has no present tense. Um, what is, um, so what is the furnace allegorically then, if that's what it's doing? uh, Well, what does, okay, so men's defiled souls are put into the furnace, what happens to them? Yeah, and, and why do you smelt things in a furnace?
4: make
0: them stronger, to
1: make yeah. them more malleable? To make them more malleable, but you also want to get, depending on what metal you're doing, you want to get to certain amounts of heat. Um, if you're doing steel, for example, you have to get the heat really, really, really hot, because what does that do? It's not, it's not only to liquefy it. You have to get beyond liquefaction. Strengthen. To strengthen why? <laughs> I know it's <laughs> not an engineering class, but to get rid of impurities, actually. Right. So heat, what you're doing is you're mixing coke. I mean, with steel, you're mixing coke and nickel and iron. Um, but the coke is full of impurities. And you have to get it really, really hot to either burn off or melt off those impurities. Um, so the furnace is, that's why, that's why um, uh, ideas of purgation, the idea of purgatory as a, as a place of fire. This is what, um, what the ghost in Hamlet says, condemned to, to fast in fires um, in order to purge his soul of the foul sins he has done in nature, says the ghost in Hamlet. Um, that comes from metalwork, um, from the idea that not only does a furnace allow you to reshape something but it also burns off impurities or melts off impurities, um, so it so it makes what's left over much purer. Yeah.
5: Um, A, it kind of made me think of like beating your swords into plowshares among mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Uh,
1: B, what's mm-hmm. the origin
5: of the phrase baptism of fire?
1: Um, I don't know. Isn't it? Is because it biblical baptism? I
2: thought so because I thought the saints or um, the apostles were. Anointed with tongues of flame. I thought
1: that's where it first came from.
2: Oh, that makes sense. In so in, that also, um, I thing. really, honestly, could not tell you. But I, I remember very with the, one of the imagery with the saints is that they were blessed with holy fire from
0: the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And then they could speak oh, that's right. The, every holy language the flame. The, yeah. Or a dung but usually like a flame, and then... Yeah, but it's like um, when the Holy Spirit came into the world, it said like a fire left upon everyone who was... So like baptism by fire is literally the Holy Spirit entering you as a Christian. I
1: forgot. Oh, That's really interesting. No, I didn't know that. Okay, good. So that. Yeah, so that. <laughs> okay, good. So my fullest expressed breast the furnace is. We find out later why it's a furnace. The fuel wounding thorns. Love is the fire and sighs the smoke the ashes shame and scorns. Um, Love is the fire. Why? Mm -hmm.
2: Because because it's what's going to get the metal or the the human spirit hot enough to burn away the impurities.
1: Okay. so love, so um, the very fact. the thing that makes it possible to burn away the impurities is love. So love gets things really going. Um, the ashes, shame, and scorns. Sorry? Those are the impurities. Those are the impurities. Um, shame. OK, I get that. Um, that is, the. if you take shame to mean by what's called um, a, a transfer of of um, what's called transference. If you take shame to mean the thing that you're ashamed about, in other words, shame is generally how we feel about something. But if you say, you know, a nation's shame, you know, poverty is America's shame. Um, it's that that doesn't mean where other nations feel shame, we feel poverty. Um, what it means is the thing that we should feel ashamed about is poverty. Um, so shame there is being used um, to represent it, the thing that we should feel shamed about. So if you say the ashes are shame, um, it's not actually the experience of shame, um, but rather the impurities that we should be ashamed about. But what about scorns? How do the ashes get to be scorns? Yeah.
5: I think that's mean, like, Non-believers, or people like, or uh, you know, like people like the Pharisees, or or you know, Pontius Pilate, for example, would be people who you know make fun of Jesus.
1: Um, yeah,
0: would be scorns because uh, you know, treating all men as brothers.
1: Yeah, but how? Okay, so the thorns are burnt. I'm just trying to make sense of this as a as a coherent conceit. Yeah.
4: And I took it as kind of a return to the original state of man, like before man knew shame. Mm-hmm. You couldn't no You couldn't look down on something, and you weren't ashamed, like to be naked. And so the flames return you to the original state before original sin.
1: Okay, so I'm just I'm still trying to figure this out. So the thorns, what turns into ashes are the thorns, right? No. Mm-hmm. No. Why not? don't burn, right? Why not? I thought they were the fuel. No,
0: the fuel is you know, just, just lays on
3: The fuel, the fuel is wounding thorns.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well like, you can take thorns <clears throat> to mean like things that have hurt or um things that have caused damage to one's body just in general. So like you're burning away. So all cigarettes and, you would and <laughs>
1: All right. So here's a breast. Yeah.
2: Oh, um, sorry. Uh, but the fuel wounding thorns and the scorn idea. Um, the Roman soldiers put the thorns on Jesus' head right. to mock him. Yeah. Like they were scorning the right. him right. by putting right. him the thorns there. And also scorn is like they say the one of the worst, not one of the worst things, but like. A, something that was very painful for Jesus was when people turned from him, like, or like even now, you know, because I, I was to Catholic school for my entire life, so one of the things that they say is like, don't be ashamed to be proud of your, that, the fact that you're Catholic, yeah. you know, and that scorning Jesus and like saying like, I think it was Peter that said like, yeah, denying that, that him, three him three times yeah. was almost more painful for Jesus than anything that people who didn't actually believe in him, because yeah. it meant that you were ashamed of him. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, that I might be reading this wrong, but I think that's how the scorns tie in. Like, even though it's not directly relating the thorns to the ashes, even though the thorns are burning, it still kind of is because the thorns were put on by scorn. And mm-hmm. if you're burning away impurities of people, and one of the impurities is the fact that they scorned Jesus to begin with. Like, the fact that they sinned. To begin with, even though Jesus did all these things
1: for them. Yeah. Like, that could be one of the impurities. So, yeah, no. Look, wh- I guess what I'm saying is I totally get this poem in a general way, um, which is that what you have here is Jesus suffering for um, the act of purification and salvation that, um, that he performs. And that that idea that suffering, that his suffering helps everyone um, is is an idea that the poem is making in a particularly vivid way. Um, I'm wondering if there's, uh, let me, I just want to see if there's a poem, a particular poem by Herbert here. Um, There's a poem by Herbert called Redemption. And um, it would be worth looking at if it's in this book, which I'm not sure. Oh, no, it wouldn't be in this book anyhow. It would be in the 17th century book. Um, I'm trying to think if I can remember it. Having been tenant long to a rich lord, not thriving, I resolved to be bold and to make unto him um, a suit to cancel, to grant me a new, for a new granted lease and. To cancel the old, at heaven in his manner I him sought. They told me there that he had lately gone um, to earth um, to to take um, possession of um, of a land of a land he had newly bought. Um, Accordingly knowing his great birth, I sought him in theaters, halls, courts. I forget the first thing, but basically among the rich. Um, At length I heard a ragged noise and mirth of thieves and murderers. There I him espied who straight, your suit is granted said, and died. Um, So what Herbert basically spends 13 lines looking for this lord, trying to get a new lease and cancel the old one. He's not doing well under the terms of the old mortgage, Um, literally. Well, it's a lease, so not literally, almost literally. Um, He's not doing well. Um, It's too hard for him. He goes and looks for the landlord up in heaven, but they tell Um, him that the landlord has gone down to earth to take possession of um, something that he has dearly bought Um, he looks for him in all the places, pavilions and courts and theaters and so on that you would expect a rich landlord to hang out, an aristocrat to hang out Um, then he hears this ragged noise and mirth uh, mirth of thieves and murderers and we have um a line left, two lines left in the poem. There I him espied who, last line, straight, who's straight, your suit is granted, said and died. Um, so there's Jesus who has come to earth to take possession of land that he's dearly bought, which must mean the crucifixion. Um, it's cost him an enormous amount. Um, and there Herbert finds him, and he doesn't even have to ask. Um Jesus has time to say one thing before he dies, and says, Your suit is granted, and then dies um, and it's a pretty amazing poem um, it's rhythm it's timing, everything about it is pretty is is amazing um, and the idea is more or less the same, which is the very suffering that Jesus undergoes, the fact that he's going to die, is what saves those who believe in him. And that's that's clearly the general idea in this poem. And what we're supposed to do is what you guys did do, is think, oh, that baby was Jesus, um, when you realize that it's Christmas Day. Um, it's winter, right, as I and Horry Winter's Night. So it is winter, and it turns out to be Christmas. Um, but I think it's much harder to make the metaphors uh, make sense in in their detail, you know. Again, unlike a Valediction, forbidding mourning, um, which we've several times talked about, um, but unlike um, just a whole lot of extended conceits, unlike the idea, um, unlike the um, Edward Gorey um, cartoon either. Because if so, the so okay. So his his breast is the furnace, um, and that would mean. The breast is is where your heart is, so you feel that's where you would feel um, the pain of rejection and of hatred um, and um, so the burn so the burning in his breast would stand for the pain of rejection and hatred, and then the fuel being the thorns, that makes sense because the thorns represent um, what um, jesus' mockery on the cross um, Love is the fire uh okay, I guess that makes sense because the whole point is that the babe, um, burns in order to purify us and save us. So the fact that he's burning shows that he loves us. So love is the fire. And we do have those thorns. Um, so maybe burning the thorns makes sense on a literal level because you need something, you know, woody to burn in a furnace. Um, but it's starting to feel a little bit like a stretch. You can justify it by saying um, the thorns themselves become even more objects of pain, let's say, by the fact that they're burning. They're already painful because they're thorns, they're wounding. Um, and now it's even worse because not only did they wound, but now they're burning. On the other hand, the thorns are supposed to be on his head um, and not in his breast. So it's getting a little iffy. Yeah, okay. if you say
2: that love is
4: actually Jesus, then burning on the thorns would theoretically make sense. Because it's Jesus' thorns, which are in his breast, purifying him, are the things that are burning.
1: Yeah, but they're <coughs> supposed to be on his head.
4: All of Jesus is stuff inside his, head, his cavity.
1: See, that's the point. You You end up saying things like that.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, just to say there is an amazing grotesque poem by Herbert called The Bag, um, <laughs> which is not much anthologized. Um, but it's, it's in some ways like this. The idea is, OK, um, Jesus is on the cross, and um, we already talked about Moses striking the rock and that being in uh, the Christian story, Jesus being pierced in the side by um, one of the legionnaires' um, um, spears. Um, and then water come, water, and, and um, wine, actually, I think, come out of his wound. Um, and Shakespeare and other people allude to that. In Shakespeare and King Lear, there's a line, oh, thou side-piercing sight, um, says Edgar about a terrible moment. Um, for Herbert, um, Jesus is on the cross saying, here I am dying for everyone, and I want to do it in order to um, bring salvation to the earth. Oh, I've just been pierced in the side. Um, That's really awful. But you know what? I can now be a mailbag, and people can write prayers and stick them inside me. Um, And then when I die and go to heaven, I will have all these, I will be a mailbag bringing everyone's prayers to God. Um, So, as I say, not a much anthologized (laughs) poem. But there's coherence (laughs) in. The grotesque metaphor there. Um, the grotes- Herbert finds a way to make that grotesque metaphor coherent. Yeah.
5: But is he in pain because of the fire? I mean, it says that he appears scorched and it says that he's crying. Uh huh. But the, it's not. They're not tears of pain because of the fire. They're tears to wash away the blood.
1: I mean, they're they're tears for man, not tears for himself. Yeah. Um... Well, as those floods should quench his flames, which, with his tears, were fed. I mean, and I feel like that's a strange short circuit there. I and mean, it's
5: possible that it's just, you know, because I'm coming at this from more of the Judeo aspect than the Christian aspect, but when I think of it, I, I also thought of the burning bush. Yeah, no, you should fire, think of the burning bush. I mean, like, that fire wasn't fire. It wasn't? I mean, it, it, that fire could not burn you. It can be touched.
1: And says so who? Says that, Wait, um, says who? It doesn't consume the bush. It doesn't say that it can be touched.
2: Doesn't Moses pass his hand?
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. He, no, no, off? No, not not no. he takes of... off his sandals. He does <laughs> not. Do not. <laughs> that's,
5: that's inscribed on my talis. I do know that part. Okay. But um, Perhaps this was just my. No, my behold a
1: bush, and, and it's not consumed.
5: But. Um,
1: so you I, think I of it like, as a fire? I feel so.
5: That would make sense, though. With with. Um, uh um, in, in fiery heats I fry and then approach the one that or feel my fire <coughs> but I, it's that the, the flame will, won't burn you but because it looks like flame you approach.
1: But it will warm you. Right? I mean, and there's... It's <laughs> <laughs> okay, but <laughs> look, it produces <laughs> ashes. Um, Justice layeth on is a, is a strong phrase because what does it mean to lay, to, um, to lay it on? Do you know what's generally laid on in in a formulation like that? Um, Byron says, um, "You may either, if you don't kiss the rod," um, Byron says, "then I'll lay it on by God." It means to beat someone, to lay to to lay on to lay to lay the rod on them to to. And we now still use it as in. to to really be excessive, to really lay it on. Um, But what originally was really laid on was was whipping or beating. So when justice, so there's a pun here, um, a kind of conceptual pun, um, that justice is laying on the fuel, which means um, um, what justice does is to punish. Um, That's the standard distinction between the Old and the New Testament, that um, the Old Testament God is the God of justice and the New Testament God is the God of mercy. And um, no one wants justice, um, because everyone is a sinner. Uh, What we all want, actually, is mercy. Um, So the fuel justice layeth on, Okay, that's not so good. But then, and mercy blows the coals, that's, well, how happy are we about that? I thought mercy was on our side, making things easier rather than harder. OK, so Mercy is doing it to help us. That might be the implication there. Um, but it's still, it, it, you know, it, it, it's kind of not quite the kindness that you're expecting. Yeah?
5: What makes um, Jesuits a different sect? Like, what's, the, what's their spin?
3: <laughs>
1: well, it's, it, 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 it's, uh, I don't actually. I, I don't feel comfortable knowing, thinking that I know what um, 16th century Jesuits right. were like. Generally, Jesuits today. Um, there's a recent Brandeis PhD who is a Jesuit priest um, who worked with Laura. Um, generally, Jesuits today are um, intensely intellectual, and um, and and the most skeptical order. Uh, in the priesthood, the ones who are uh, most willing to ask the hard questions and, and to um, entertain um, difficult um, points of theology. Um, and they're also skeptical of others. But they're also famous for something that's now become a bad word but was originally a good word, which is kazooistry is, is the word. Um, and what kazooistry is is a way of arguing about whether something is legitimate or not according to church doctrine, and um, Jesuitical casuistry—that's that's essentially just oh, you're just engaging in Jesuitical casuistry. It's a it's another way of talking about sophistry. Okay. Jesuitical from Jesuit plus itical, <laughs> like um, so, C A S U I S. Um, I think that's right. Um, the idea behind casuistry is, is um, that if there is any interpretation of a biblical text or of church doctrine or of some um, authoritative uh, Declaration, some declaration accepted by the church as authoritative. If there is any such declaration or any interpretation of such declaration that can be found in favor of someone accused of a sin, that will absolve the person. So Jesuits are extremely good or were traditionally extremely good at finding, basically at being defense lawyers, um, at finding ways of defending what looked like sins against church doctrine. Um, partly that was their um, intense intellectual um, attainment, so that they knew a whole lot more about church documentation than a lot of other people. Um, Jesuits are traditionally never popes. I don't think there's ever been a Jesuit pope. Um, but also traditionally the Pope's confessor is a Jesuit. So the Pope confesses also, has to confess his sins, um, and the person to whom the Pope confesses is traditionally a Jesuit for the last 500 years or so. Um, so they're in um, an interesting and somewhat um, skeptical relationship to the rest of the Church. Um, but I don't, know what, I don't know what this would mean I'm, I'm not nearly as confident of their intellectual profile in the 16th century. Yeah, I think um, they
0: were always that way because at some point the Jesuits, like as a sect, were almost excommunicated yeah. from the Catholic Church. Yeah. Because they were pursuing intellectual lines of inquiry that the church didn't want them yeah. to pursue. Yeah. So they were mainly doing that and then educating people, which the church also didn't want them to yeah, do. They, because, y- you know, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. But well, they you, were awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, you know, you weren't, if you were a lay person, you weren't allowed to read the Bible until the 1960s. Um, you would get the wrong impression if you read the Bible. Um, you'd be surprised by some of the things that it said there, and you might misinterpret them. Um, there's a, in modern secular law, there's a great moment in um, uh, the Pentagon pa- Papers trial where Charles Griswold was arguing for the government. Did people know about the Pentagon Papers? Um, So basically, there were these papers that uh, Nixon and the government really didn't want um, printed because they were a report that said the US, a report that the Pentagon had commissioned that said, there's no way the US can win the Vietnam War. It's crazy. And of course, um, the government immediately made this top secret. And um, this guy named Daniel Ellsberg leaked the Pentagon Papers, and newspapers started publishing them. And every time the newspaper published another chapter, the government got um, an order from, from a court um, preventing that newspaper from publishing any more of the Pentagon Papers. But the government tried to get a blanket order um, preventing any newspaper from publishing any more. This is called prior restraint. Um, And it was thought okay to stop a newspaper from doing something once it started it, but not okay to tell a newspaper that it couldn't publish something before it had even started publishing it. So this was brought to the Supreme Court. The Pentagon Papers case was brought to the Supreme Court. The case was much more important than the papers. um, But uh, the Pentagon Papers case was brought to the Supreme Court. And um, it was uh, the US versus the New York Times and the Washington Post and various other newspapers. And the um, the um, count the council for the newspapers basically said uh, the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law um, abridging freedom of the press, and um, if you engaged in prior restraint and told newspapers they couldn't publish certain things uh, before they did, that would be abridging freedom of the press, um, and they won. Um, that was a very different world, um, but. What I loved was what Charles Griswold, who is was, who was the government um, lawyer, said um, in his um, argument that there could be prior restraint. And he said, I think the problem, he said, he said, I think the problem is that um, the – Floyd Abrams, I think, was, was um, uh, arguing for the newspapers – is that um, Abrams thinks that when the First Amendment says – the government shall make no law abridging freedom of the press, that what that means is that the government shall make no law abridging freedom of the press. And actually it doesn't mean that, Um, but he said it right out. (laughs) Um, He said nothing is absolute in the Constitution, and even the most absolutist statements are not absolute. And um, it's naive to think that they are. And um, so that, um, it's, it's, you're a lawyer, right? No. Or, uh, I don't know where, okay. But um, that's a um, a kind of secular equivalent to going right into the heart of things and saying it's different from what anyone can see that it actually is um, and making an intellectual argument for that. Um, so there's something, um, I think, equivalent to that to um, what... The church would say, uh, up up until Vatican II, about well, you know, in the Bible it says you shouldn't do certain things, um, and you might think that that would mean you shouldn't do them, Um, and that's why it's important that you not read them. Um, So, as I say, it was only in the 1960s that um, that the Bible became that it became permitted um, for members of the church to read the Bible and not to learn doctrine from um, the church itself, the church herself and from catechism. Um, okay, but, so I guess what I want to say, I'd, I'd love us to get to Hero and Leander, which I hope you loved. <laughs> Did you all read it? it yeah, couldn't be better. But I think what, what I want to say is that um, the image doesn't, to me, wor- I think you guys are doing a really good job with it. Um, and I guess I'll say say um, explicitly what I think a theory of any interpretation of a poem should be, which is that you should interpret any work as being the best work it could possibly be. Um, it's really important to use the word possibly there, um, not an impossibly good work, but the best work it could possibly be, and. Um, I feel that you're doing that. That is, I was skeptical of the but I, um, but you guys came up with um, a reason that that phrase might actually be pretty good rather than what I was thinking of it as being as just filler. Um, And I was also skeptical of um, why the ashes should be shame and scorns, but um, you came up with with decent reasons for why it should be shame and scorns. And all of that seems possibly to make the poem seem better than it would otherwise seem. Um, I still can't quite make it work. I don't know why the size would be smoke. Um, what sense does that make? Um, love is the fire, I can see, but and size, the smoke, um, Eh, maybe you could make sense of that, can you? Why is that a good thing? I yeah? Think
3: the size, the size of repentance, which is what happens, the love, the love of God burns in you, Heaven.
1: okay, so it 's like smoke the smoke of a sacrifice, yeah, okay, so um, that would then make sense. Um, the ashes shame and scorns um, the thing that burning the thorns um, gives you is what 's left of them or shames and scorns. Um, but the problem then would be that since smoke comes from the fuel, the fuel turns into smoke and also into ashes. So how do size come out of the thorn?
0: About this. Jesus is no. magical. Just like go
1: it. <laughs> okay, so no, no, but you you know, do to Jeff? Um not Rita? <laughs> um, but the the No, I think what you're saying is right, which is that that what happened here is I think Southall just had this amazing image. Um, of of this child floating in the air on a dark, cold night and just glowing and burning, um, just an incredible image. If you think of it, you know it's it's something that maybe is not quite as incredible to us um, because we've grown up with um, enough uh, um, animated films and and so on that um, that similar that we've seen similar images. Um, but there's no image like this before now. So he had this amazing image in his mind. Um, and then he wrote a poem about it. And I think the poem tries to justify the image. But it's the image that matters. And um, even as an image of Christ, it's the image that matters. That Christ is this, is this burning child in the night. Um, and that's an amazing image. But then he tries to justify it, and he does that through allegory. And I think he works really, really hard at it, but doesn't quite get it to work. Um, you know, gets it to work well enough, but doesn't quite get it to work. And um, I think that's, that's really interesting, that here's a poem which is both, which, is, which has something great in it, and yet somehow isn't a great poem. Or which isn't a great poem, and yet somehow has something really great in it. Um, that's, that's how it strikes me. Um, and I think it's also uh, lots of people have subsequently um, <laughs> been interested in this image. Um, so anyhow, um, yes, Hero Leander. Why'd you love it? Yeah, I thought Yeah, didn't you say you loved the imagery? Oh, it was just, just, I
0: don't know, I just thought a lot of parts of it were pretty.
1: Uh huh. Which isn't a justification, at all. But, <laughs> okay, pretty. Yeah. I felt like a much more modern version of Ovid's metamorphosis. Uh huh. Like, you know, the language he put into it,
4: and a lot of the analogies, and just the imagery was much more, much more Renaissance.
1: Yeah, um, it's partly like Ovid because everything that happens has a backstory and he'll take as long as he needs to to go through the backstory. So, um, and he's making it all up. I mean, this is not mythology. It's not mm-hmm. mythology that the fates um, fell in love with Mercury. Um, that's that's uh, Marlowe making that mythology up. Um, but um, it's just great. He just loves going there. He loves describing. It's a poem of endless description. And what is it that he likes describing best? Judy? Well yeah. Um, sex. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Lots of sex in it. I know.
5: Just, um, a stream of liquid pearl which downward face made milk like paths. I just I was reading that, I was like, I'm so like really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> it's just you know there's a line. Things like a walk no <I laughs> page
1: 495 it's just like there's a line and then Marlo's like over here past the line <laughs> <laughs> yeah um okay uh. mm-hmm. what else I mean, Ovid is also always describing sex. That's another um, similarity between them. Um, what event happens in this poem? If you were to plot summarize, what's a very quick plot summary? Yeah.
0: Hero and Leander are both super pretty, but she's a nun. But to Venus. Uh huh. And like he convinces her that she should sleep with him, and then he goes swimming. And she leaves a light. Okay. No? Yes. And like, she leaves a light on for him, and so like that way they can come, and like have sex, and it's great.:
1: OK. <laughs> yeah, his father doesn't want him um, seeing her. Um, he meets her at a festival. She's incredibly beautiful. Um, he's struck by how beautiful she is, and says, "We should have sex, and what does she say? No, why not?: I'm a nun. I'm a nun for Venus, but still a nun. So what does he say? It's not the idea of Venus. (laughs) Yeah, it's not the idea of Venus. Um, What is it she's afraid to lose? Her virginity. What does he think about that?
3: Um,
1: Even less than not that important. Um, There's actually a quick theory of allegory there um, when he talks about her virginity. Um, Do you remember that, that it's um, like wine and water? Um, uh, Well, that's what sex is like um, when there there are people who um, only drink water, right? And and yet it's really wonderful. And there are people who have their wine neat every day, but they get bored by it. that doesn't actually seem to help his argument that much, but it helps a little bit. But just a little bit before that, I think, this is uh, page 493, um, around line 250. Um, It's always hard to say where, where to start. Well, Let's let's start at two thirty-eight. Rich robes themselves and others do adorn; neither themselves nor others, if not worn. Um, so that's a nice little idea that um, the reason to be beautiful, the reason to wear a rich robe, is that it looks that it adorns you. But also it adorns others. That is, others get to see this beautiful robe you're wearing. You get to wear it, and they get to see it. And it's, it's a win-win situation. And it's a lose-lose if you don't wear it. Who builds a palace and rams up the gate shall see it ruinous and desolate. Um, so there the image is fairly clear, building a palace and ramming up the gate. Ah, simple hero, learn thyself to cherish. Lone women like to empty houses, perish. Less sins the poor rich man that starves himself in heaping up a mass of drossy pelf than such as you. So even the miser sins less than you do. Why? Because his golden earth remains, which after his decease, some other gains. So the miser may be an idiot for, um, for loving money rather than what money can buy, um, which is the standard definition of uh, miser. That is, money is supposed to be a medium of exchange and shouldn't itself be the thing that you want. Um, But at least when he dies, other people will get it. Um, But this fair gem, sweet in the loss alone, when you fleet hence, can be bequeathed to none. So what gem is that that's sweet in the loss alone? Virginity. Virginity, yeah. that jam that's not something that when you die, people will say, oh, I have—I can have her virginity now. Great. Um, <laughs> it's... There are people like that. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to say that. <laughs> Everyone
3: thought <laughs> it. say <laughs> <laughs> We went there. Right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. Well, then. I'm sure there are poems about that, too. <laughs> <laughs> um... No doubt. (laughs) But this fair gem, sweet in the loss alone, when you fleet hands can be bequeathed to none. Or, if it could, down from the enameled all heaven would come to claim this legacy, and with intestine broils, the world destroy and quite confound nature's sweet harmony. Um, So even if someone could um, leave their virginity behind them, then because you're so beautiful, there'd just be a civil war on earth. Um, between the powers of the gods, and that would not be a good thing. Well, therefore, by the gods decreed it is, we human creatures should enjoy that bliss. One is no number. Maids are nothing than without the sweet society of men. Um, That's a mathematical theory, that one isn't a number, that you need plurality to get the very idea of a number. So since um, if you're alone, you would be nothing without the sweet society of men, Wilt thou live single still? That is, she says, actually, I like being single um, and being self-possessed. And his answer is, well, one that one shalt thou be, though never singling hymen couple thee. You're still your own person. That is, it doesn't matter whether you have your virginity or not. Um, a person is always a single person, no matter what. So it's not virginity that gives you um, your your own um, self-possession. Um... Wild savages that drink of running springs think water far excels all earthly things, but they the daily taste neat wine despise it. Virginity, albeit some highly prize it, compared with marriage, had you tried them both, differs as much as wine and water doth. So it's good that you know what virginity is like. Now try the wine um, and feel the difference. Um, Base bullion, for the stamp's sake we allow, Even so, for men's impression, do we you, by which alone our reverend fathers say women receive perfection every way. So um, that's a very quick sexual theory there um, about what's sometimes called mediated desire. Um, Women, um, Sorry, this idol which you term virginity. So here, think about allegory. This idol which you term virginity, is neither essence subject to the eye, no, nor to any one exterior sense, nor hath it any place of residence, nor is it of earth or mold celestial, or capable of any form at all. Of that which hath no being do not boast. Things that are not at all are never lost. Men foolishly, do call it virtuous, what virtue is it that is born with us? Um, so, virginity, he says, is a pure abstraction. Um, what it is is it's like an allegory without anything that that allegory represents, um, and therefore there's no point in your maintain, in your sustaining something which is only allegorical, which isn't real. Um, so that's um, it's an argument. Um, it's a uh, basically it's a it's an it's no big deal. Argument. Um, nothing will change, um, except that you'll have a good time. Um, but it—it's not a sin. It—it it won't um, cause anything to change. Um, so, eventually, he wins that argument, um, and um, I assume you found that pretty sexy where he does. Um, Go back, though, to a couple of early places. So um, you probably know that Marlowe was gay. Did people know that about him? Um, And um, sort of notoriously so at the time. Um, So go back to around line um, 60 or so, um, where he's describing both the lovers I um, at line 51 so here's a description of Leander amorous Leander beautiful and young whose tragedy divine Musaeus sung that is his story is known in classical times um, dwelt at Abydos or Abydos since him dwelt there none for whom succeeding times make greater moan so he's the one who is most mo- mourned in, in Abydos um, I think he pronounced it a bydos, dose but um, his dangling tresses that were never shorn, had they been cut and onto Colchis born, would have allured the venturous youth of Greece to hazard more than for the golden fleece. So his blonde curly hair is just so amazing that it would be worth more than the golden fleece. Um, fair Cynthia, that is the moon, wished his arms might be her sphere. Grief makes her pale because she moves not there. So here's the reason the moon is pale, because she saw Leander and was pale for grief that he wasn't embracing her. His body was as straight as Circe's wand. Jove might have sipped out nectar from his hand. Um, What's that a reference to? Does anyone know? Jove might have sipped out nectar from his hand. Ganymede. So who's Ganymede? Who is Ganymede? The cupbearer of, cup of the gods. So, what's the story? Does anyone know? Yeah. Uh,
4: he was one of Priam's sons, Priam's king of Troy, and uh, Jove saw him and thought he was so beautiful that he brought him up to Olympus uh, to be his cupbearer, meaning he brought him up to have sex with him. Yeah. <laughs> and then Neptune
1: the yeah, man. later on. Confuses later on, Neptune is going to think he's Ganymede also. Um, so, But the point is that he's a he's such a beautiful boy that Jove decides that he wants him um, as, as, um, as his boy toy. Um, and so he makes him the cupbearer to the gods. That's why Jove would have sifted out nectar from his hand. Even as delicious meat is to the taste, so was his neck in touching <coughs> and surpassed <coughs> the white of Pelop's shoulder. I could tell ye how smooth his breast was and how white his belly And whose immortal fingers did imprint that heavenly path with many a curious dint that runs along his back? Um, So he's getting pretty much into it. Um, As he's describing um, the heavenly path of the spine, um, that is, all those many curious dints that are the vertebrae. Um, He's thinking... Mm-mm. mm I mean, he really is. It
0: sounds
1: worse when you read it aloud. Well, <laughs> But what, look at this rhyme. I could tell ye how smooth his breast was and how white his belly. Um, and whose immortal fingers did imprint that heavenly path with many curious dint that roams along his back. But my rude pen can hardly blazon forth the loves of men. Um, Certainly can't do that, Uh, much less of powerful gods. Let it suffice that my slack muse sings of Leander's eyes. Um, So (laughs) he's had um, a bit of a time here. Um, And Leander will also have a bit of a time later, remember? Um, He thinks it's over. He thinks that whatever sex is is over, but then he starts stirring again. Do you remember this? This is like as racy a poem as you're going to find before the 18th century um, when they get a whole lot racier, or at least the late 17th century when they get a whole lot racier. But um, go to um, page 504. Um, actually, sorry, that's the wrong place. Um, uh, sorry, page five hundred. Um, start around, um, Line 539. You know, so basically what's going on here is an amazing description of sex between two people who are both virgins and who don't quite know what they're doing. Um, but they're learning that there's more than they thought. Um, but know you not that creatures wanting sense by na- this is 539, by nature have a mutual appetite and wanting organs to advance a step moved by love's force unto each other leap much more in subjects having intellect, some hidden influence breeds like effect. So all birds do it and bees do it. Think about humans is essentially what he's saying. Albeit Leander rude in love and draw, long dallying with hero, nothing saw that might delight him more. Yet he suspected some amorous rites or others were neglected. Therefore unto his body hers he clung. She fearing on the rushes to be flung, strived with redoubled strength, the more she strived, the more a gentle, pleasing heat revived, which taught him all that elder lovers know, and now the same Gansota of scorch and glow, as in plain terms, yet cunningly. He craved it. Love always makes those eloquent that have it. Um, so basically, something has happened while they were messing around on third base. Um, sorry? the burning babe, yeah <laughs> um, but then he wonders, isn't there something else or is this it um, and then she starts squirming away from him and he revives um, being a very young man and um, then they discover, no, that wasn't it um, you guys know the Flight of the Conquerors, right um, the Flight of the Conquerors um, you, and you say, is that it I know what you're trying to say, baby. Oh, business time? Yeah, business time. You're saying, that's it. Um, business, Google business time and flight of the Concords. You won't be unhappy if you do. Um, I know what you're trying to say, babe. Um, so yeah, it turns out there's more. But I think what's most, I don't know, shocking, sexy, both, is Neptune as... Um, Leander is swimming, so swimming is turned into a sex scene. Um, you all got that, right? That the water flowing around his body as he swims through it is intensely sexualized. Every stroke <laughs> that, um, that he swims is, is made sexual. Um, if you don't know it, um, you could imagine that this would be a fun thing to study for your final exam. So um, you ought to. All right, uh, we do not have class Wednesday, I will remind you, um, since some of you are here today. Um, And so I'll see you after vacation, and as I say, we will reschedule the class for um, optionally for reading day. But you should read all of Astrophil and Stella as well as the other Sydney poems, not from Astrophil and Stella in the anthology, but Astrophil and Stella is a separate book So not just the selections in here, but the whole thing. Okay, have a good break.